0: We are thankful as always for the presence of each and every individual, not only our membership, but our visitors alike. And it is our desire, our goal, that each of us may worship in spirit and in truth, and that not only shall God be magnified, but that each of us will be encouraged and edified indeed in the things of the most holy faith. You may have noted as you looked at the title perhaps of the lesson, not only on the wall behind me, but also as announced in the bulletin, it to do with envious against the workers of iniquity. And a moment ago, Brother Chris just read from Psalm 37 in which that very phrase took place. Let me, in fact, invite you to keep your Bible open to Psalm 37, for we'll use at least a fair part of that chapter a little bit later tonight as a part of our study, as a part of our lesson. But as we do that, let me use an introductory slide to perhaps motivate us In light of an interesting and powerful idea, we're told, are we not, that the Word of God is such that it is our desire to always use it to be vigilant, to be watchful, to be alert, to be on guard against those things that the devil can put before us and present to you and to me. In fact, what we're about to study tonight is a rather direly needed message for each of us who strive to be children of the God of heaven. I believe, in fact, as we study some of these matters together, we'll be reminded. And it may well give us a renewed perspective on some things, and certainly we'll use the Word of God to motivate us in light of those ideas. To perhaps give away part of the observation— There are two chapters that have much to say about the idea before us tonight, and you'll probably recognize an interesting way of keeping in mind what they are. One of them is Psalm 37, the other is Psalm 73. And so tonight as we look at each one of those, we're going to be drawing ideas and in fact observations from each one of those two chapters, and you and I will then look with some care in just a moment at each one in due course. But the first part of the lesson is really going to relate to something that I hope is very familiar to each of us. You and I know that we are admonished. As a part of our worship service, of course, we sing praises unto God and we thrill at the thought of it. We do this utilizing our voices in the characteristic ways that we can to sing hymns of praise. And we read verses such as, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, Ephesians 5.19. Later on in Colossians 3.16, we there note, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. I asked Brother Eddie as the song leader tonight that if he would lead Psalm 138. We had just sang that one together a few moments ago. Let me, in fact, read parts of it and then use it to ask each of us some questions. Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us never molested, though in the wrong. When death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our home so lonely and drear. Then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. Faithful till death, said our loving Master. A few more days to labor and wait. Toils of the road will then seem as nothing as we sweep through the beautiful gate. When we see Jesus coming in glory, when He comes from His home in the sky, then we shall meet Him in that bright mansion. We'll understand it all by and by. And then the chorus. Farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. I suspect you and I have sung that song literally hundreds, if not thousands of times in the course of years of our worshiping to God. And yet, as you reflect upon the song, I have a couple of questions. Looking at the chorus, farther along, we'll know all about it. What is the it that we hope to know more about at some future time? What is it? You may notice, in fact, the fourth stanza says, We'll understand it all by and by. What's the it? Not only that, it goes on to say in the chorus, Farther along we'll understand why. Why what? What is it that we are hopeful to understand better? Is it the love of God? Is it the providential nature of God's dealings with His universe? Is it some interesting features that otherwise perhaps unfold before us, some challenging passages in the Word of God? All of those would be perhaps worthwhile considerations, but they're not the answers to the question. The answer to the question is the subject of tonight's lesson. We'll understand it... I hope we know more about the it by the time our lesson is done, and I hope maybe we'll sing that song from here onward. If we haven't been understanding that it, that we'll do so, because didn't Paul tell us, "I will sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding"? First Corinthians fourteen fifteen. Perhaps in that connection, might I invite each of us to close the lesson and say this? I think it would be fair also to say that the matter resting before us tonight may well be a critical element on our journey to heaven. And if we were to fail in light of this matter, it may well cost us our eternal home there. What don't we said about our task? I like to do so by first making mention of some situations. I suspect that these probably are situations that each of us in one way or another have dealt with many, many times in life circumstances that may well rest on our mind, and do so, and as we'll see, they may well bubble up and cause even greater issues. But consider this one with me. It may well be that you have a co-worker, a family member, a neighbor, or uh, some other acquaintance, and this person is given to evil. And by that I mean this individual has shown little, if any, interest in the things of God. This person not only seems to have almost no interest in the Bible, they live a life wholly uninterested in it completely. And in that circumstance, although they clearly have given themselves to matters concerning evil, and they direct themselves somewhat purposefully with regard to that, nonetheless, as you can see on the slide, the following may well be their lot. They are wealthy. They own fine cars, and perhaps many of them. They own considerable amounts of land, perhaps. They have niceties in terms of clothing. They may have a vacation house elsewhere. They enjoy extensive vacations numerous times a year. It would seem that the lap of luxury is theirs. And keep in mind, these are evildoers when all the while, perhaps you or I or other Christians that we know are laboring beneath the burden of great challenge, certainly not wealthy, materially at least, and certainly not in a position to enjoy many of those materialistic advantages which the others enjoy. As I said, I suppose we have each at least had the opportunity to be there, to know someone in this circumstance. Look at the next possibility. This one, perhaps these very same people, or perhaps those very similar to them, although they are given to no interest in God. That is to say, uninterested in the church, uninterested in the truth, uninterested in the Bible. And it may well be that they engage in many activities which you and I readily understand the Bible condemns. They drink socially. They enjoy various and sundry other things. Maybe they're even in an unscriptural marriage. And yet, they nonetheless enjoy a wealth of benefits materialistically. Not only that, they appear happy all the while. They have parties every weekend. They have any numbers of visitors coming to their house and they wonderfully enjoy barbecues and other kinds of get-togethers and they just seem the happiest people that there are. And all the while, they live a life that's evil. At least by the definition of the Word of God, they have no interest in Jesus Christ. They are wholly uninterested in the church. God is not on their mind, at least in any way other than profanity. When all the while a person who is a Christian may well suffer beneath a load of problems that this world brings to bear... Maybe a Christian has a challenging time making the mortgage payment. Maybe a Christian, in fact, suffers beneath my car's torn up. I have no money to fix it. Not only that, the time has come that various matters on the farm need to be taken care of, and I have not the wherewithal to do it. It is a very different scenario. Look at the third one. All the while, these individuals, perhaps in this circumstance, these who again are evil using the definition of the Bible. And all the while, they also may well enjoy a long life of evil. They live to a ripe old age. And even in that old age, they seemingly enjoy yet continuing matters related to what many Christians do not. Sometimes their health doesn't seem to fail. Sometimes the other particulars of frailties that come upon those that you and I may know, they seem not to suffer. And it might might well be that as you and I ponder those in this circumstance, there could well be Christians who, due to the problems that we've listed tonight, don't have that free kind of life that these others seemingly enjoy. The scenarios I've listed tonight are not far-fetched. Like I said, I'm sure we each have at least allowed some of the thoughts to cross our mind. We aren't the first ones. Psalm 37 and Psalm 73 both address the very circumstances that I have attempted to invite us to consider. And it is with that in mind, let's then turn and draw several lessons, not the least of which is in verse 1 of Psalm 37. The text says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. It's important that we appreciate this. He may well have all the money that he can possibly spend, and maybe he's got a lot of cars and a fine house here and another one somewhere else. And it may well be that many other particulars of materialistic matter are his. And the Bible says, don't you be envious against workers of iniquity. It's easy, isn't it? Even though Christians say, I wish I had some of that. I wish I could be more like Him. I sure do wish that I could enjoy some of that and perhaps to allow those thoughts ultimately to rest in us to the point that they can lead to problems for us. The Word of God says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. I understand just as David in the long ago did, that may well pose its challenge. Let's speak just for a moment about what it means to not fret. The Hebrew word that's utilized in that location is a word as that you, you can tell that literally means to become heated, to become hot. And what it seems to suggest is that here's someone who looks on what he doesn't have and what some evildoer does have, and he gets angry about it. He gets resentful about it, wanting so much to have what he's got, or at least some of it. The Holy Spirit said, "'Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity.'" Jump down to verse 7 with me. "'Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him.'" And here's this phrase again, "'Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way.'" There we have it. He's prospering. You and I as Christians, don't fret yourself because He's prospering, and you're not prospering in the same way He is. This is a vital message for us, isn't it? And that verse finishes by saying, "...because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass." It's true, he may well be prospering, but his way is also encumbered with what is described as "...he brings wicked devices to pass." His life is categorized and in fact classified in the things of God in a way that is associated with evil doing. And remember, that may well simply be nothing more than not worshiping God in truth and in spirit. In the New Testament, that is called evil. You and I then could appreciate this as we journey forward on that slide. May I say again as we close that slide how tempting it can be to allow oneself to be jealous over what he has and what I don't. And yet I'm trying to serve the Lord and he couldn't care less and yet he has so much and I have so little. Isn't it easy to be resentful? Isn't it easy to be envious? Isn't it easy to in fact operate in a spirit of jealousy and wish ill will on him? It certainly could be tempting. And the Word of God tells us you mustn't feel that way. We're going to learn some other features about this before our lesson ends tonight. But lesson number one, observation number one, has been do not fret over a circumstance like this one. And the second observation, in many ways, goes right along with it. Because it presents to you and to me a critical danger that touches this kind of behavior. Let me again perhaps mention it like this. Here's an individual who again has shown no interest. In fact, is directing his or her life in a way far removed from the truth of God, and they have so much. And I have to struggle just to make ends meet. My health insurance bill, I'm having a hard time paying it. My car's torn up. My tractor is too. And yet, he's got more than he knows what to do with And I'm trying my best to serve the Lord. And He is not. A great danger in it is the one that David listed before us here. It's what I've entitled the danger of discouragement. Let's go to Psalm 73 now. And notice how this discussion continues. Let me begin reading in the opening verse of Psalm 73, and listen to how it touches the subject before us tonight. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Before I read further, let me just pause. David says, although verse 1, it's true God's been good to Israel, as for me, my feet have almost slipped. I just about have lost my way. Let's read on to verse 3. Here he explains why. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. David says, the psalmist I should say, when he looked upon the welfare materialistically of these who were evil, David says, it nearly caused my foot to slip. I became envious of them. I wanted what they have got. Verse 4. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. He's got a nice house. His health seemingly is wonderful. He lives to a fine old age. There's no bands in his death. Notice death hasn't come quickly upon him. Verse 4 ends by saying, He is a person of strength. Verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men. Here I am loaded with burdens, both financially and otherwise. My family have known their share of difficulties. As far as I can tell, I see no problems in his life at all. Verse 5, Neither are they plagued like other men. He seems to not have a lot of the daily concerns that I have. I have to pillow my head at night wondering how I'm going to meet the various demands of my day. He seems to have no such concern. Verse 6, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. Their eyes being described with fatness, that was an ancient way of identifying a person who had a lot to eat. We're rather blessed, of course, today. Most of us understand a plenty when it comes to eating. But in the ancient era, those nomadic peoples, you often struggled, of course, to find it. And if a person had a filled-out face, you could rest assured that person was eating well. The psalmist says their eyes, easily deceived, filled with fatness, this person's eating all he wants. And not only that, verse number 7, they have more than they could wish. Doesn't that again sound a bit familiar from what we've described tonight? Verse 8, All the while, however, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their tongue against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people turn hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know, and is there a knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in this world they increase in riches. It's not difficult to see the great danger here. That Christian who struggles so, and yet that evil person who seems to not be struggling at all, and it's so so easy to respond in the same way the psalmist did. I stopped at a carefully chosen point, but now I'm going to read further, and I'd invite you to read with me. Verse 13, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. So in light of the observation that the person has made, I am struggling so, he isn't struggling at all. He has everything that he could want, He has everything in terms of health and otherwise, and I do not. And so the tendency to react in verse 13 is this. Maybe I have cleansed my heart in vain. I'm trying to serve God. What's it got me? It isn't worth it. I think I'll quit. He's got it better than I do, and I've tried hard, and He doesn't. I've cleansed my heart in vain. And furthermore, I've washed my hands in innocency. I've had enough of this Christian life. If this is what it's going to get me, I would rather be like him. Do you see the dangerous temptation? The psalmist understood it well, and maybe you and I, in a moment of weakness, have been there too. Those who seemingly, again, are evil. And those who in many ways openly profess it and yet materialistically they're far better off than we. Maybe we have in a weak moment said, I wished I were like them. I wished I had what He has. I wish that I were more like Him. You know that kind of thing as you and I close that slide. Takes us right back to the song. I know I read it earlier, but now it's perhaps time to know what is the it? What is the why? We'll understand it all by and by. Let's put the words back together. Verse 1, Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. This song is exactly about this topic. There are those who are tempted and tried, namely you and I. While there are others living about us, they're living in the wrong. And you and I wonder, why should it be thus all the day long that we have it so rough and they don't? Furthermore, in verse number 2, when death has come and taken our loved ones, maybe you or I suffer poor health. Maybe our loved ones who are so close to us who also are striving to be faithful Christians are suffering ill health. There's no ill health as far as we can tell in them or their families. It leaves our home so lonely and drear, then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. This song is exactly about this subject. Verse three. We then see this admonishment, faithful till death, said our loving Master, a few more days to labor and wait, toils of the road will then seem as nothing as we sweep through the beautiful gate. May I suggest that the it is the very matter tonight to see the grander picture of why we are suffering more than they, why they are prospering materialistically more than we, And you know, there's a sense in which we'll not necessarily have to wait when we open the Word of God and allow it to answer the matter now. But could I at least say this as we close that slide? You notice that there's a matter of understanding. And I won't leave you hanging because in verse number 16 of Psalm 37, I'm sorry, Psalm 73, we find this interesting statement from the psalmist. I've tried to at least build the matter of his consideration. He's pondering why he I'm not prospering and the other one is, when I'm trying to live right and he isn't. Verse 16 says, When I thought to know this, we now know what that this is. The this is, he's not struggling and I am. He's of great health and I'm not. He's got all that money could hope for and wish for and I don't. That's the this. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Painful. It was a challenge. Understanding this and wrapping our mind around it is a matter of tremendous intrigue and a matter of great moment indeed. But I will ask you to notice he does give us the answer. And we'll get to that shortly. But first, could I at least interject this thought? Scattered amongst the comments of the psalmist are statements like these. And as we go back to Psalm 37, let's note verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. Begin reading with me in verse 3. It says, "'Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed.'" Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Scattered in the midst of this observation of these wicked evildoers prospering, and perhaps Himself not prospering quite so much, we have these wonderful statements. You make sure to trust in the Lord. You make sure to realize that what you do have is a blessing from above. That does change one's perception. You look upon what you do have rather than what you don't in comparison to another. And it allows one to be thankful for what one does have. In addition to that, notice in fact verse 25 of this chapter. It surely is one of the most poetic and one of the most profound passages that probably quickly comes to mind from this whole chapter. "'I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken?' nor his seed begging bread. Indeed, the psalmist was able to say, I have never, ever seen those who are faithful to God be such that they are forsaken. They'll always have enough. Now, they may not live in the lap of luxury, as the world would call it, but they'll have enough. God will see to it. A trust in the Lord, a recognition of His providence, an understanding of His marvelous providence in that regard. Takes us to another observation, verse 16 of Psalm 37. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Isn't that interesting? that righteous person who may well have little, as the world would call it. And yet, as that verse describes it, what he has is better than the extensive riches, materialistically, that that evildoer possesses. It is critical that you and I keep that sentiment in mind. It is, in fact, critical that we appreciate that as the marching orders to allow us to look with right perspective on what we do have. Not only that, look at this one. In verse 29 of Psalm 37, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. We mustn't take that from its context. That is not a promise of God, that if you pray to Him, that He'll grant you a thousand acres. He doesn't promise that. But what He does say is, that inheritance of the land is a recognition of a sufficiency. A sufficiency and adequacy relative to what you'll need. Now, those people in that day, in that agricultural society, you needed enough land to grow enough to take care of your family. Now, God assured that they would have that much. We may live in a different style than that today, but we're promised that we'll have a sufficient amount. Not only that, one final thing. This idea harmonizes with so many other passages, some of which are in the New Testament. Acts 14, 17, Matthew 6, 24 and following, perhaps the two that come to mind first. But it is at this point that let's go to the last portion of the lesson and perhaps draw all of this to a point of of not only completion, but of closure. I left us hanging a moment ago when I said, David affirmed, the psalmist I should say affirmed, When I sought to know this, it was too painful for me. We need to keep reading. We shouldn't stop there, but look at the next verse. To put it in its context, let me again read verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God then I understood their end. As long as I tried to make sense of this based only on materialistic eyes and materialistic viewpoint and carnal disposition, it was painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary, then I understood. May I say, when the psalmist went into the sanctuary and understood the end of that man, understood the end of that man, then he saw it in the proper perspective. Now you and I would never wish for those people to go to hell. We would never hope that that's the case. Rather, we would hope that they'll come to their senses, but if they continue living in the way that they have to this point, though all the riches they've got, May I ask what a difference it made to the rich man in Luke 16. He had everything this life would have to offer. He fared sumptuously every day. He was clothed in fantastic apparel. But he lifted up his eyes of torment. He would have traded every dime he had ever had to be where Lazarus was then. Then I understood, the psalmist said, then I understood their end and it puts everything in a whole new perspective. I really don't want to be like Him because I know where He's going. I know the kinds of eternity that He's going to face in that condition. He should be the furthest thing from our mind and want to be like them. They may well have a great deal of money, land, possessions, cars, vacations, and otherwise. In the final analysis on the day of judgment, it will benefit them nothing. And from the perspective of eternity, it will all be a loss. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary was a description in that day and time of the tabernacle followed by the temple. When I went and heard the teachings of God, when I went and appreciated the great blessings for the faithful and the end of the wicked, then I understood. And in that understanding... There's no reason to be envious of them. There's no reason to want to be like them. We as Christians have it far better than they. We have a heavenly Father. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ. 1 John 2 verse 1. We have a home in heaven for the faithful. Jesus said it, didn't He? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's where our riches are. Isn't that where our riches are? There's where they are. In those mansions awaiting in that great by and by. Now, the particular character of those things leads us to close that slide. There are many references in these two Psalms. Verses, again, verse chapter 37 and chapter 73. And I've selected a handful of them. As you can see near the bottom. Psalm 73, verse number 27. For lo, they, that they is the wicked, they that are far from thee shall perish. Rather than wanting to be like them, we should feel sorry for them. We should lament the fact of their disobedience. Look at chapter 37, verse number 2. This takes us back to the previous chapter, but says, For they, who's the they? The wicked. They shall soon be cut down like the grass. Their life on this earth is so brief. Even if they do manage to live a long life, once it's over, what do they have to look forward to? Whereas you and I have the endless ages of eternity to look forward to. Doesn't that give us a new perspective? Be not thou envious of evildoers. That has been the title of our lesson tonight, and we'll close our lesson by mentioning farther along one more time. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. A part of the chorus had those words within it. We have every reason as Christians to be cheerful, to be happy, though our lot may not be as materialistically prosperous as others. If we're a child of God, do we not have the things the Bible would lead us to appreciate? The things of such great moment, may I say, I again would hope that when you and I think about farther along and when we think about chapters 73 and 37, we'll be reminded not to be envious of those who work iniquity. Tonight, I hope if there's any of us that are workers of iniquity, we'll come to our senses at once and realize we don't want to be among those that perish and among those that are cut off and among those who are on the outskirts of safety, but rather we want to be on the side of those who are faithful and who receive the great blessing and promise of God. Tonight, if there's anyone that would wish to respond publicly to the gospel's call of invitation, If you are a wayward child of God, please allow the blood of Christ to again cleanse you, 1 John 1 verse 7. That will happen upon your confession and repentance, 1 John 1 verses 89. And And we'd be delighted to pray to God for that very thing to happen. If you have never become a Christian, tonight would be the perfect night. The 8th day of September, the year 2019, your spiritual birthday we'd be delighted to rejoice upon your baptism into Christ. Upon your belief, your repentance, your confession, your baptism, you could then proceed to walk faithfully through this life, never envious of evildoers, but always delighted for what God has so richly given you. If we could be of help in any of these ways tonight, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?